Marley was dead. Dead as a doornail, in fact. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story you're about to hear. It was the England of 1843, a nation caught in the turmoil of the Industrial Revolution, a time which not only created unprecedented overcrowding and poverty in London and England's other larger cities, but put children into horrifying working conditions in the factories. I am David Suchet, your host for Focus on the Family Radio Theatre. In our modern age, we can hardly imagine what it was like to live in early 19th century England, to be, say, five years old and spend 15 to 18 hours a day working in a soot-covered, rat-infested, diseased shop, in rags, without shoes or food, all for a few pennies' wages. But that's exactly how it was for thousands of children then. They lived in an age of new technology and utilitarianism of commerce, of theories and philosophies that had threatened to turn the poor working class into nothing more than flesh and muscle to generate income to the more prosperous. Even holidays, like Christmas, were in danger of becoming extinct as more and more employers refused to give their workers the time off to enjoy the most simple pleasures. Against this backdrop, in the autumn of 1843... A young writer, who had only just reached his thirties, sat down in his study, desperate to get on paper a story that was passionately burning in his heart. The young man had been successful with his early novels, but now suffered a decline in his popularity. His latest work, a novel called Martin Chuzzlewit, hadn't sold very well. His earnings were dwindling thanks to a large family and a less-than-frugal lifestyle. He was anxious to get back into the public's favour, but didn't know how. And his preoccupation with reforming the laws that allowed for the appalling conditions in child labour were a constant distraction. It consumed him. He often visited what were called ragged schools around London, institutions for poor children which barely had the means to help them physically, let alone instruct their minds or inform their souls with teachings of Christianity. He wrote about the little ones he saw, and noted that to gain their attention in any way is a difficulty, quite gigantic. To impress them even with the idea of God, when their own condition is so desolate, becomes a monstrous task. He had been asked to visit similar schools and factories in Manchester to the north, and while there was deeply moved by bright eyes and beaming faces that were threatened by annihilation thanks to their poverty. In his mind... Ignorance and want became real living creatures who threatened to devour the children of his country. Somehow he had to tell their story to the public at large, to make everyone see how much the innocent suffered at the hands of greed and indifference. One evening, while walking through the streets of Manchester, an idea came to him. It was so simple an idea as to be profound. 
He raced back to London and was so possessed by his inspiration that he wept and laughed and wept again and excited himself in a most extraordinary manner in the composition. It was said that he sometimes walked fifteen, even twenty miles a night as he thought through the story's plot and direction. It came to him, all of it, a miserly character, ghostly visitations with a redemptive purpose and a message about the needs of the poor. He worked all hours of the day and night, refused to see friends and broke appointments, so that by early November 1843 the work was finished. And so it was that Charles Dickens had written his ghostly little book called A Christmas Carol. Not even the author could have anticipated the life-changing effect its message of Christian love, hope and responsibility would have on his world or ours. Join us now as Focus on the Family Radio Theatre proudly presents Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. Old Marley was dead. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by his sole partner and sole mourner, Ebenezer Scrooge. And Scrooge's name was good upon the London Exchange for anything he chose to put his hand to. Was Scrooge upset by the sad event? No. Scrooge was hard and sharp as flint secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red and his thin lips blue. External heat and cold had little influence on him. No warmth could warm or wintry weather chill him. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say hello. No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what time it was. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked, to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy to keep its distance. It was enough to him that people might say, as he said at Marley's funeral, he was a good man of business. Ah, Mr. Scrooge. Yes, servant, sir. Are you off home to keep Christmas? I'm not in the habit of keeping Christmas, sir. The exchange is not closed. Why are you leaving so early? Because Christmas has a habit of keeping men from doing business. Good day, sir. <laughs> Good day to you, sir. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name from the sign above their office door. There the sign stood years afterwards, Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes they called him Marley. He answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Out of my way! And stop that blasted racket! Wait! You boy, come here. Yes, sir. You're Samuel Wilkins' boy, aren't you? Yes, sir. Your father owes me twenty pounds and sixpence, I believe. Tell him I will expect payment at my office first thing in the morning. Twenty pounds? 
tomorrow, but, sir... Deliver the message if it won't tax your brain too much. But what if he hasn't got it, sir? Tell him he'll have to get it. Tomorrow. But it's Christmas, sir. What does Christmas have to do with it? He'd still owe me the money if we were in the middle of an August bank holiday. Now, be off with you. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge returned to his counting house and his clerk, Bob Cratchit. Mr Scrooge, you're back early, sir. I suspect this is the only place where I'll get any work done. Why are you dressed like that, sir? In your coat and scarf. Are you leaving? No, sir. The fire is dying, sir, and I didn't have a key to your office to get more coal. More coal? I gave you as much coal as you'll have today. If you can't make do with that, then perhaps you'll appreciate employment elsewhere. Oh, no, sir. No, I'm sorry I brought the matter up, sir. Oh, my. Now, get back to work, if it isn't too much to ask. Yes, sir. Right, sir. Oh, good evening, Bob, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Master Fred. How are you? And that family of yours, are you well? Oh, yes, sir. Quite well, sir. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Who is keeping my clerk from his duties? Oh, better go and see Uncle. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Ah, humbug. Oh, you don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. <laughs> what right have you to be dismal? You're rich enough. Humbug. Oh, don't be cross, Uncle. Well, what else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas, indeed. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle! Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. But you don't keep it. Well, let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you. Much good indeed. Well, perhaps it doesn't profit me in the way you think of profit, but I'm sure I've always thought of Christmas as a time doing me much good, yes. It's a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. Ugh. It's the only time I know of in the long year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people around them as if they really were fellow passengers on a sacred journey and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. Yeah. And therefore... Uncle, though it's never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that Christmas has done me good and will do me good. And so I say, God bless it. Another sign from you, Bob Cratchit. And you'll keep your Christmas by losing your employment. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. You're quite a powerful speaker, nephew. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. (laughs) Don't be cross. Come tomorrow and dine with us. I will not... Well, why won't you? Why? Why did you get married? Oh, because I fell in love. You fell in love. If there's one thing in the world more ridiculous than Christmas, it's falling in love. Good afternoon. But you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason now? Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon. Oh, I'm sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We've never had any quarrel to which I've been a party. But I've come here to wish you a Merry Christmas, and that is what I will do. Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. (laughs) And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon! Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, Master Frank. You're another one. A clerk making 15 shillings a week 
with a wife and family talking about a Merry Christmas. I must be going mad. This is some Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Uh, that is correct, sir. Oh, what now? Good afternoon. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead for seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. We have no doubt that his generosity is well represented by his surviving partner. What do you want? At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? But plenty of prisons. And the workhouses, are they still in operation? They are, though I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour, then? Both very busy, sir. I'm comforted. I was afraid, from what you said at first, that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. Sir, under the belief that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body, a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. Ah, we choose this time because it is a time when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to remain anonymous? I wish to be left alone since you ask me what I wish. I don't make myself merry at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there. And many would rather die. Well, if they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. <laughs> Besides, it's none of my business. Isn't it? It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. You, my good man, have our deepest sympathy. Oh, uh, and Merry Christmas to you, sir. Humbug! See, Cratchit, the entire day wasted away. And for what? Oh, it's all humbug. Your coat, sir. I suppose you'll want the whole day off tomorrow. Well, if quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. And it's not fair. If I was to stop you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay your day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse of picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. And I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. Oh, yes, sir. You're very generous, sir. It's a weakness of mine. Good evening. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in the gloomy chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. The yard was so dark, the fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house, that Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. Now, it is a fact 
that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door of that house, except that it was very simple-looking, not ornate at all, and rather large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in the place. So, let anyone try to explain how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw not the normal design of a knocker, but instead he saw the face of Jacob Marley. Scrooge. Huh? What? What's that? Scrooge. It is nonsense. Utter nonsense. It was not Scrooge's habit to double-lock the doors, but he did so anyway. Thus, secured against surprise, he changed into his dressing gown, nightcap and slippers and sat down in front of a meagre fire for his gruel. Humbug! What's that? Oh, oh no! Oh, no. What? What? Oh, dear. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I eat still. I won't believe it. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh. No, no. Who's there? What do you want? Now, what do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Ha! You don't believe in me. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality? Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. Look, there's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. <laughs> Do you see this toothpick? I have but to swallow this and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins and all of my own creation. <laughs> yeah, humbug, humbug, I tell you. Humbug! <laughs> I do, I do, I must, I must. Mercy, mercy. Dreadful apparition. Why, why do you walk the earth? And why do you trouble me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide to assist in charity and do good. If that spirit goes not forth in life, then it is condemned, doomed to wander the world in death. Unable to share what it might have shared on earth to bring happiness. But why are you fettered in chains? I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it. Link by link and yard by yard, fashioned by my own free will. And of my own free will I wore it. Be warned, Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh -huh. You do not know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself. It was full and heavy and as long as this... Seven Christmas Eves ago, you have laboured on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Oh, Jacob, old friend, speak comfort to me. I have none to give. 
It must come from other regions, conveyed by other ministers. But mark me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole, and a weary journey now waits before me. No rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse for life's opportunities missed. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind should have been my business. The common welfare should have been my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence, all should have been my business. What? Oh, man, blind man, you know not how short life is. <laughs> At this time of year, I, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? What? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Oh, hear me! My time is nearly gone. I will, I will. Uh, but don't be hard upon me, Jacob. I am here tonight to warn you that you may have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. Yeah. You will be visited by three spirits. Are they the chance and hope of which you spoke? They are. In that case, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. But, Jacob... Expect the first when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and get it over with? Expect the second and third thereafter. Oh. Look to see me no more. No, 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 no. And look that for your own sake you remember what is past oh. between us. Oh, Marley, Marley, wait, wait. Don't leave me. Tell me, please tell me more about the spirits. Jacob! What? Mm, what? Uh, oh. Oh. A dream. Oh, it must have been a dream. It, oh. The chimes. Did he say one o'clock? Ah! Ah! Ebenezer Scrooge. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who... And what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? Your past. Oh, Spirit, why are you so bright to my eyes? Can you cover yourself to dim your light? Would you so soon put out with worldly hands the light I give? Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions would extinguish my light completely? No, I meant no offence, Spirit. What um, business brings you here? Your welfare. Take heed... Rise and walk with me. Walk with you? Out of the window? Are you afraid? Well, I am mortal and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand, and you shall be upheld in more than this. Good heavens! Tommy! David! Charlie! Do you know those children? Of course I knew them. I went to school with them. 
Why didn't they stop? They couldn't see you. Huh? These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. But uh... you remember the way to your school. Remember it? I could walk it blindfolded. It's right over there, beyond that hill. So it is. It stands deserted, but for a solitary child neglected by his friends, he is left there still. I know. Look at that poor boy. I see him. It's me. But you were not completely alone, Ebenezer. You had your book. Yes. Through whose company I had legions of playmates. There was Ali Baba and the genie and Orson, and Robinson Crusoe and his parrot and Friday and... Oh, you poor boy. Yes. Poor boy. It makes me wish... Ah, oh, it's too late now. What is the matter? Oh, nothing. Nothing. There was a, a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given him something, that's all. Let us see another Christmas. Turn and see Ebenezer the boy become Ebenezer the young man. Directly towards that part of the Ebenezer! Franny! Oh, my dear, dear brother! Oh, I've come to bring you home. Home? Yes, home. Home, home, forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be, and home is, is now like heaven. Is it, Franny? Yes! Father spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if, if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should. So he sent me in the coach to bring you. And you're never to come back here, but you'll stay all through Christmas and we'll have the merriest time in the world. Oh, Franny, I wish I could believe you. Believe me, dear brother, I've made all the arrangements. <laughs> You've turned into quite a young woman, haven't you, Franny? I have. <laughs> now... Let's see to your things. Come on, Ebenezer. I'm coming, my dear sister. I'm coming. Your sister was a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered. But she had a large heart. So she had. She died a woman and had, as I think, one child. Your nephew, Fred. She died giving him life. True. Just as your mother died giving you life. What's that? Open the door, and we shall see another Christmas past. Oh. We must have to shut us up before I make say Jack Robinson. Clear away the floor, my lads. Let's have... Bless my soul. It's old Fezziwig. It's Fezziwig alive again. This is familiar to you? I was apprenticed here. Let the guests in! Yes, sir! Yes, it's time for a party!